Story twelve of Over the Plum Pudding by John Kendrick Bangs. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Loss of the Gretchen B. A Tale of a Pirate Ghost Found Floating in a Water Bottle. One The Discovery. It was a very pleasant evening in July. Hans Pumpernickel, who had just laid down the duties of mayor of Schnitzelhammerstein on the Zugzwitz, after having filled that lofty office for eight years, was walking with me along the river front at its busiest point. Let us go out on the wharf, said Hans, as we neared its entrance. When I was a little boy, I used to take pleasure in sitting upon the twine piece of the wharf and letting my legs dangle over. I scratched my head for a moment before I saw exactly what he meant by twine-piece and dingle. "'You speak English very well, Pumpernickel,' said I, but what you should have said was string-piece and dangle, not twine-piece and dingle. "'But,' he protested, "'is not a piece of twine a piece of string?' Well, "'Yes,' I replied, "'but then why may not a twine-piece be a string-piece?' And, as for dingle, is it not the present tense of the verb to dingle? Dingle, dangle, dungle, like sing, sang, sung? You would not say, letting him sang, it would be letting him sing. Wherefore, why not say, letting my legs dingle over, and avoid saying, letting my legs dangle over? Oh, well, have it your own way, said I, and having reached the end of the wharf, we sat down there, and shortly found our legs dingling over the water in the most approved style. "'It is a hard sort of a seat,' said I, after a moment or two of silence, as we gazed upon the river flowing by. "'True,' said Hans, philosophically, though it is not made of hard wood. Let us take a boat and have a row.' I agreed, and we hired a small skiff and paddled idly down the stream. We had not gone far when the bow of our craft bumped up against something which scraped against the side of the boat as we passed. "'What was that?' said Pumpernickel. "'I don't know,' said I indifferently. "'Nothing, I guess.' "'What nonsense you talk sometimes,' he retorted. "'It must have been something. We'll retreat and see.' Suiting the action to the words, Hans backed water with his oars and in the dim light of the moon we soon descried the object of our search, a curious old earthen vessel floating in the river, bobbing up and down very much like a buoy. It looked like a water-bottle of two centuries ago, and indeed, upon investigation, turned out to be such. "'Aha!' cried Hans triumphantly, as I lifted the bottle into the boat. "'It was something, after all. I knew it could not be nothing.' Is it empty of contents? I turned the vessel bottom-side up, and nothing came out of it, but there was a distinct thud within which betrayed the presence of some solid substance. It is not empty of contents, said I, giving it another shake, but it hasn't any table to show what those contents are. Oh, we don't need a table, said Hans, failing to appreciate the subtle humor of my remark just shake it out with a sigh over my lost joke i did as i was bidden and soon after a vigorous shaking and the removal of a cork which i had not previously noticed the substance within issued forth through the bottle's neck 
"'Dear me,' said I, "'it appears to be a manuscript.' "'Let me see,' said Hans. "'Ah,' he observed, "'it is writing. Why did you say it was a manuscript?' "'That is writing,' I explained. "'That may be,' said he, "'but why waste your tongue on three syllables when two will do?' I ignored the question and put another. "'Can you read it?' I asked. "'With difficulty,' he said, "'by this light. Let us return to my rooms and see if we can decimate it. Decipher, decipher, Hans,' said I. "'As you will,' he retorted, with a sweep of the oars, which brought us under the shadow of the wharf. Tying our boat, we hastened back to Pumpernickel's rooms, and within a half-hour of our find we were busily engaged in translating the extraordinary narrative of Captain Hammerpestle, commander of the Gretchen B., a ship that, as we learned from the captain's story, was once of ill repute, later of pleasant memory, and finally the central figure of an ocean mystery never as yet solved, though at least two hundred and fifty years have passed since she was given up for lost. The story was in substance as follows. 2. THE TALE OF CAPTAIN HAMMERPESTLE the end is approaching, and I, Rudolf Hammerpestel of Bingen, third owner and captain of the ill-starred Gretchen B., formerly known as the Dutch Avenger, will shortly find a watery grave in sixty-eight fathoms of the Atlantic, ninety miles west of the Rock of Gibraltar. The Gretchen B. is sinking, and the pirate ghost is at last a victor, though I have given him a pretty fight these many days. Had it not been for my own stupidity in employing a foreign crew, all might yet be well, and I am impelled in my last moments, for we are sure to go to the bottom within two hours, to write out this story merely in the hope that it may some day reach my fellow men, tell them of my horrible fate, and possibly warn them against my errors. If I had stuck to my own countrymen, if I had employed Hans Stickenfurst and good old Dietrich Futzenhickel, and their like for my officers and crew, instead of the idiot Pat Sullivan and his twin Barney O'Brien, and others of that ilk, I should now be nearing port that I shall never reach, instead of sinking, slowly sinking, into the mysterious depths of the great ocean. I have locked myself within my cabin so as to be free from interruption, and it is highly probable that, having tightly closed my port and cocked up the door-cracks and keyhole, I shall be able to gain an extra hour for the writing of this tale, even after the Gretchen B. has disappeared beneath the waves, to be hid forevermore from the eyes of man. When the tale is finished, I shall place it within my trusty water-bottle, open the port, thrust it forth into the sea, and trust to heaven that it may rise to the surface and ultimately make some port where it may be read and published, I devoutly hope, by some house of standing. And now, as every story should begin at the beginning, let me go back to the time when I first took charge of the Gretchen B., it was five years ago, on the 7th of May, 1635, that the Gretchen B. was purchased by her present owners, and I, Rudolf Hammerpestel of Bingen, 
appointed her commander. It was with a light heart, a full crew, and sixty barrels of Schnitzelhammerstein claret that I set out from Bingen on the 27th day of May, 1635, for London, where the claret was to be sold to the public as medicinal port, its nutty flavor, its bouquet, and other properties favoring the illusion. All went well with us until we reached the sea, when one night, after our second day on the ocean, feeling faint from the effects of the sun, for I had had a hard day of it, I tapped one of the barrels of my cargo for a taste of the claret. Understand, I was not in any sense taking away from the full measure which was due to the purchaser in London, for I intended to replace what I had taken with water, so slight in quantity, too, as not to affect the flavor appreciably. Imagine my consternation to find the liquid turned sour and thin so thin that under no circumstances could it ever pass muster as medicinal port. I was horrified. Ours had always been an honorable firm. What was to be done? My employer's reputation was at stake. If that claret had ever been delivered at London as port, they were ruined. I determined to run the Gretchen B. to Naples, and there dispose of my cargo as Chianti, to which, with the infusion of a little whale-oil for appearance's sake, it would be made to bear a remarkable resemblance. This done, I retired to my cabin to reflect. What could it have been that had wrought such a change, for on leaving Bingen the wine was sweet and good? I locked my door so as to be undisturbed, for I cannot think when there are others about but hardly had I seated myself at my table when, upon the honor of a sea-captain, a ruffianly person, noiseless as a cat, walked through the massive oaken barrier I had but just fastened to. "'What are you?' I cried, aghast, the spectral quality of the apparition being at once manifest. Oh, he retorted, it seems to me it's more to the point for me to ask that question. You are the interloper. It is my cabin, I said indignantly. Oh, is it, he sneered, since when? Since the 7th of May, I replied, I am the commander of this craft. Pooh, said he harshly, do you know who I am? I've asked you once, said I, trying hard to appear calm and sarcastic. Well, I almost hate to tell you, he said, throwing off his coat, whereon I was filled with consternation to observe that his belt held four wicked-looking blunderbusses and six cutlasses of razor-edge. You're not a bad fellow, and your hair will turn white when I tell you, but since you ask, so be it. Your hair be upon your own head. I am the ghost of Wutur von Rotterdam. You, I cried, clutching wildly at my locks, not to keep them from turning white, of course, but to steady my nerves, for in the name I recognized that of one of the most successful pirates and the bloodiest in his way. I, I, he replied impressively, but who, what do you hear on board the Gretchen B? I cried. 
Gretchen, nothing, he said. This is the Dutch Avenger, upon which, after her capture six months ago, I was hanged, and which, my dear Hammerpestle, I will haunt till she fills her destiny, which is there. The word there was pronounced in sepulchral tones, and with von Rotterdam's forefinger pointed downward. I shivered from top to toe, but quickly recovered. If I cannot have the Dutch Avenger, at least none other shall have her, he added. You are mistaken, Mr. von Rotterdam, I said politely. You have taken the wrong boat, sir. This is not the Dutch Avenger, but the Gretchen B. of Bingen. She has not always been the Gretchen B. of Bingen, he replied. I know that, my dear sir, I observed, but her previous name was the Anneke van der Kuch. Anneke van der Bosch, he ejaculated with a laugh. That is what they told you, and you swallowed the bait. They knew precious well your people wouldn't buy her if they had ever guessed she'd once been the terror of the seas as the Dutch Avenger of everywhere, the ubiquitous ranger of the deep, Captain Wouter von Rotterdam, better known as the throat-cutter of the Caribbees. Is that the truth? I replied. As a pirate I scorn lies, he answered. We don't need em in our business. Get your carpenter to plane off the name on her stern and see. And even as he spoke he disappeared, fading away through the closed door. I was nearly prostrated by the revelation, but hoping for disproof I rushed up on deck, summoned the carpenter, and ordered the name Gretchen B. planed off the stern. Alas! There beneath the innocent letters lay the horrid proof of the truth of the spectre's story, the words Dutch Avenger flanked on either side by skull and crossbones. Again I sought my room to recover, and to my added distress von Rotterdam had returned an ugly look on his face. "'You've changed your course,' he said savagely. "'I know it,' said I. My cargo is spoiled for the original market. I am taking it where it is saleable. He was very wroth. I was not aware that you were so clever a man, said he, after a moment, calming down. I perceive that my attempt to ruin you interlopers at the outset is to be attended with some difficulty. You have individual resources upon which I had not counted. Ah, said I. It was you who turned the claret sour. It was, he replied, as a part of my revenge. And mark you, Captain Halmerpestle, no cargo shall ever reach its destination unspoiled while I have a bit of the old spook left in me. Where are we bound now? To Naples, said I, incautiously, and I further foolishly unfolded my plan to dispose of the cargo as Chianti. See here, Captain, he said pleadingly, give up this honest seafaring business and come out as a pirate, won't you? You're too clever a chap to be honest. Keep the Dutch Avenger going as a terror, and by jingo, sir, I'll stand by you to the last. My answer was the lighting of a sulphur candle in the hope of exorcising him, and going on deck I ordered the name Gretchen B. restored merely to emphasize my determination to have no part in his foul schemes of piracy. 
I must now pause in my narrative for a moment, and see how far we have settled in the water. It may be I shall have to write somewhat less in detail, so as to finish the tale before I am destroyed by the inrush of the sea. It is as I feared. The rippling surface of the ocean is already lapping the lower edge of my circular port window, and one or two drops have leaked within. It will not be long, I fear, before the water from below will burst the decks and dash against my door, when, of course, we shall sink the more rapidly. But if the walls of my cabin, and they are unquestionably strong, von Waterdam having had them made bulletproof of wrought iron, if these can withstand the pressure of the water for a half hour after we are submerged, I am quite confident I can finish the story in time to bottle it up and launch it safely through the port. After many days of difficulty, we passed the Strait of Gibraltar, and on the 18th of July were safely anchored in the Bay of Naples, where I sold the claret, which von Rotterdam had changed into water as the latest mineral product of the Schnitzelhammerstein Spa. But from the hour of my refusal to compromise with my honor and become the successor and partner of von Rotterdam in the profession of piracy, we had trouble on board. Letting my cargo alone, he introduced a system of haunting my crew, so that at the end of several years not a German-speaking sailor was anxious to ship with me except at ruinously high wages. I found some, but not many, and finally I was reduced to the followers of the two men I have already mentioned, Hans Stickenfurst and Dietrich Futzenjigel, men who had never known fear, and who, when von Rotterdam haunted them, merely laughed and blew the vile-smelling smoke from their pipes into his face. But while the pirate ghost was powerless to fill the men with fear, he did arouse a great interest in the stories of his booty which he told. Night after night, lying in my cabin, I could hear him in the forecastle telling them tales of his prowess, and giving forth vague hints as to where vast treasure was hid which might become theirs if only I would come around and become his successor. The night we entered port I overheard a compact made between them, that on the next outward voyage they would first reason with me and persuade me, if possible, to accept his proposition, and, failing in that, to seize the ship, put me in the longboat, turn me adrift, and place themselves subject to von Rotterdam's orders. That was a year ago. Since then, until this ill-fated voyage—by the way, as I look up, the water is clear over the port window, and is beginning to trickle in under the door, so I must again hasten—until this ill-fated voyage I was not again on the sea, and having in mind the threats of my crew, which they do not even now know that I overheard, I secured for this voyage the crew of an Irish bark, discharging all my previous men. I will at least have men who do not understand Dutch or German, I thought, and for this voyage shall be comparatively safe. To ensure against a possible turning adrift in the longboat, I shall likewise sail without it. Alas for all my expectations! 
while neither Sullivan nor O'Brien, as I had supposed, was acquainted with the native tongue of von Rotterdam, that talented ghost could speak English with as fine a brogue as ever gilded speech. And worse than this, Sullivan, the carpenter, was a fly-away fool. Genial, full of good stories, and an excellent carpenter, the deck beneath my feet is bulging upward, he was absolutely without foresight, and it is to him I owe my present plight. It happened this afternoon. The day had been absolutely calm and still. Not a ripple on the sea, not a breath of wind to stir even the frayed hemp in the rigging, and yet down, down, down we are sinking, for Sullivan has sawed a hole in our bottom big enough to let a man through. I didn't suppose he would do it, but he has, and because last night when he and Rafferty, my second mate, were smoking in the forecastle, von Rotterdam's spirit rose up before them, and arousing their cupidity, led them astray. For the love of the shanks, cried Rafferty, as the ghost appeared, what are you? Rotterdam replied, a spirit of the pirate von Rotterdam, and here where I stand directly below me in five fathoms of water lies a million in treasure. Go on, cried Rafferty. "'Tis true,' retorted von Rotterdam, "'and if at noon to-morrow you will cut away enough of the ship's bottom to let yourselves through the hole with a rope tied about you, so that you can be hauled back again, it will be yours.' "'Blame good pay for a schwim,' said Sullivan. "'A million what? Pounds or francs, sir? There's some difference between the two. "'Exactly,' returned von Rotterdam, "'and they're pounds sterling.' ingots of gold and priceless jewels why don't ye tell the old man said rafferty referring to me because replied von waterdam he would keep it all for himself you gentlemen i am sure will divide it justly among all through for use said sullivan with a laugh and where do you come in i have no further use for dross replied von rotterdam and I judge that at that moment he faded from their sight, for almost immediately he appeared in my cabin. I was tired and irritated, so I said nothing, pretending to be asleep, never for an instant believing that Sullivan would do so foolish a thing. He doesn't ever think of consequences, but he's not such an ass as to cut a hole a yard square in the bottom of this ship, I said to myself, and then, worn out, I really slept. How it happened I do not know. Possibly that infernal ghost in some manner drugged me. But it was not until five minutes after midday, just three hours ago, that I awoke, and my heart stood still as I heard the action of a saw deep down in the hold. "'Heavens!' I cried, starting up. "'The idiot's at it!' A deep, baleful laugh greeted the remark. It was from von Rotterdam. He is, and I am revenged, he said, in tones which seemed to come from the center of the earth, and then he vanished, I hope, forever. I rushed madly out and called for Sullivan, but the only answer was the grating of the saw's teeth. Dear me, how dark it is getting! I must really not linger with details. 
My only answer was the grating of the saw's teeth upon the bottom of my devoted vessel. Shrieking, I clambered down into the hold, but too late. Just as I got there, the yard square of planking was burst in by the waters, and the vessel was doomed. Well, Captain, I said to myself, a great calm coming over my soul, it's all up with you. Now think of others. Those at home, not hearing from you, will be worried. Go to your cabin, and like a dutiful man, make your report. This I have done, and this narrative is my report. I hope it will reach its destination in safety, and that the world may yet learn that in the hour of peril, which has but one conclusion, I have been faithful and calm. It is now the sixteenth day of June, 1640. I shall never see the seventeenth, and I am resigned to my fate. And now for the bottle. Now for the cork. Blithering cyclones, the door is cracking open, and now one, two, three, to open the port. Wait! I must put in one final P.S. In case this story ever reaches the land, will the finder kindly be careful in correcting the proof and see that my name is correctly spelled? There is just a moment in which to write it plainly. Rudolph, with an F, mark you, not a P.H., and Hammerpestle, with two M's, and so the port. There the story ends, and here it is for the world to see. What followed Captain Hammerpestle's last word we can only surmise. Pumpernickel and I have been faithful in the trust unwittingly committed to our care by one who has been dead for a trifle over two hundred and sixty years. We have only to add that those who do not believe that the story is true can see the water-bottle at the home of Herr Pumpernickel at Schnitzelhammerstein on the Zugwitz at any time. But as for the manuscript and the ghost of the pirate von Rotterdam, we do not know where they are. The latter we have ourselves never seen, and the former was as usual mislaid by the talented young person who undertook to make a typewritten copy of it for us a few days after our discovery. End of Story 12 End of Over the Plum Pudding by John Kendrick Bangs